Hello, good morning, Cape Bible Chapel. Our reading this morning will be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, if you'll join me there. It's a joy to be with you this morning as we continue to hear about Paul's attitude and his heart to know Jesus and continue to become like him in his life. So again, Philippians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I've already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, it, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Please be seated as, as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful just to gather this morning as your church and as this body of believers to come and worship you. We continue to look at these verses and to continue to consider Christ and what he has done for us. God, his life, his death, his burial and resurrection all for us, God, for, for our sins, God, that we may know you. I pray we can continue to strive forward towards this, God, to knowing you, to making that our end and our goal as we seek your face. God, I pray this morning for all of us, and especially those this morning that don't know you, that their heart will be uh, pricked, that your spirit will move in a mighty way to draw them to yourself. Continue to pray for the word as it is preached, and pray for Pastor Jeremy this morning, that he will boldly uh, proclaim your word with conviction, that we all might uh, hear and be hearers and be doers of it. And we thank you for all this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. That wasn't too bad. Good morning. Hey, there we go. That's better. Um, we need to continue to be praying for Pastor Ben and Jamie as they are gone on sabbatical and this week. Pastor Josh and Michelle and their family are visiting family up in Minnesota, so I'm standing in. So let's uh, open up your word of God to Philippians 3. Um, DT just read it for us. And as I was turning on my mic pack, I think I strained a muscle here. So if I'm leaning a little bit to the side, I think I, I pulled one of my rib cage muscles there. So I might be stretching a little bit while I'm up here. Um. As we have been looking at the book of Philippians, um, for the last several weeks, Paul has alluded to this topic that we are talking about this morning, which is spiritual maturity towards final maturity, right? Completion, glorification. And so today I wanted to kind of think a little bit about some unfinished projects that maybe you've been part of or you've seen. Have you ever seen an unfinished project? Maybe a multi-million dollar building that has just sat unused. Uh, one such is the uh, Yoo Kyung Hotel in Pyongyang, North Korea. It's a 105-story, 330-meter tall, pyramid-shaped skyscraper. Construction began in 1987, and it was halted in 1992 as North Korea entered a period of economic crisis. In 2008, construction resumed and a partial opening was announced in 2013 and then canceled. Completion date unknown. It's just sitting there. Not a single guest. And there's examples of this all over the world, right? And it's more heartbreaking the more that you see there was time, effort, resources poured into this and it just sits. And whether it's something personal, close here to your home, um, building a barn, maybe remodeling a bathroom, sewing a quilt, preparing dinner. We're all involved in these projects, right? Maybe it's staying late on Christmas Eve, putting together the Barbie doll house, right? Dads, you can identify with me here. There's an amazing amount of work that goes into these projects, frustration, even restraint to keep Barbie from going out the window late at night. And why do they have to sew Barbie's hair into the actual packaging, right? So there's a lot that goes into these projects, and yet, in the end, there's great reward in a project that is accomplished, complete, useful, made 
to what it ought to be. And all throughout this week, I've had this children's song in my mind, He's Still Working on Me. You know this, right? To make me what I ought to be. It took him a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How patient and loving he must be. He's still working on me. I'm not going to sing that. I'm no Dan Green, so you won't be hearing me singing from the pulpit. But this story is true, or this song is true. It's good, but I feel like it needs a verse in there to talk about our own personal work in our work of becoming more like Christ. Because there's both there. There's this tension, right? God is at work, but we are to be at work as well through His power. And so I want to read just our passage here and then jump right into this Paul challenging the church in Philippi to constantly be at work and pursuing Christ and not sit dormant, incomplete, not doing what you were made to do. He's saying, finish the race. Make every effort to persevere and grow in Christ. Don't just show up. Get in the game. So let's read with that mindset again, because we like reading God's Word and understanding where we are going. Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to actually start in verse 10 because Pastor Josh last couple of weeks has alluded to this process, right, that Paul is talking about, this idea that God is at work in me, but we are to work out our own salvation for the sake of knowing Christ, attaining Christ. And that's an important word there. So verse 10 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So if we back up to chapter 1, right? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more so that you may be pure, blameless for the day of Christ. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And he continues, that I may know, become like him in his death, attain the resurrection. So Paul is referencing this process that we're going to be looking at of growth throughout our lives coming to completion at the end. It's perfection to ultimately experience it when we are in the presence of Christ. But we need to recognize that tension between God is at work within me, but within me is the Holy Spirit who is driving me, giving me this this desire for growth. You see in First Corinthians, run in such a way as to get the prize. And Hebrews, continue progressing towards maturity. I don't think anybody can argue that that is there in Scripture. We are given this demand, this command to continue to struggle, to toil. And in Colossians, we see both of them at work. If you flip over a couple pages, Colossians 1.29 says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. That kind of puts it in a nutshell, right? I'm struggling with God's power at work in me. That is why I toil. And we need to really make sure that we understand what it is that we're talking about. What is sanctification? What is spiritual growth? What is maturity? Paul uses these words and we have to understand the context of them to see what he's talking about. Is Is he talking about our progressive sanctification in this life, which is ongoing? Or is he talking about maturity or, or that positional sanctification that we have once and for all when we come to faith in Christ, when we're born again? And if I were to define spiritual maturity, if you had to think about what is it that makes a person spiritually mature, 
I would say, simply put, it would be Christ-likeness, right? That, that's kind of the go-to definition. But we can't be like Christ in some ways, as his deity, for instance. But what are things that Jesus was like here on earth that we can be like? And if I were to take all of the different ways we could think about the fruit of the Spirit and everything, I'd have to say that Jesus gives us kind of his understanding of his relationship to the Father as a way for us to understand our maturity. He says, I can do nothing on my own. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So when I think of becoming like Christ, spiritually mature, I think of his dependence on the Father. And so if we think that way, complete ongoing dependence on the Father, I would say you're growing in maturity if you're growing in dependence on the Father. And before we just jump into our passage here, I just want to kind of give you, uh, we love lists, right? So here's a list of things that may be considered as dangers and false attitudes or thoughts towards this doctrine of sanctification. We really need to understand this because it's easy for us. We, we can be very um, prone to have these misunderstandings and therefore it affects how we work this out in our own lives. It has implications for your own mindset toward progressive sanctification and your efforts because we're going to see that Paul has something to say about our efforts in being conformed to the image of Christ. First is that you may say to yourself, there's really no need to improve. I mean, I just kind of maintain, I'm secure in Christ, and that's all I need to get to heaven, right? First Peter says, I have an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for me, which is true. The danger in that is we're taking one doctrine, right, at the exclusion of another doctrine, which is God's purpose in you. And you're not perfect, right? You're not complete. Um, the other thought would be to say, well, I let go and I let God. He's still working on me, right? And there's nothing expected of me. He does all the attaining for me. And the error is that submission to Christ doesn't lead to apathy, Right? It leads to enthusiastic pursuit of him. Or you may be a Christian sitting here today, and you say, there's no need to grow anymore. I've, I've grown. I am as complete as I'm going to be. I can retire now. I was a fast learner early on in my Christian life. I was in the advanced program of spiritual maturity, right? And it's time now for me to just sit and enjoy life. I'm going to come to church every week. I'm just going to be able to, when needed, maybe I'll contribute. Um, but the danger in this is blindness to your own sin and weakness, right? And insensitivity to it. Or you're saying, things are slow right now. I'm pacing myself as a Christian, right? I'm in a season, which we know always turns into an era, right? But someday I'm really going to turn it on. I'm going to finish strong, right? Get my second wind, the danger of this is not trusting now in the Spirit's power at work within you to press on. That's given to you. So these are all kinds of different misconceptions. You might actually admit that you need to grow. Maybe you're a Christian who says, yes, I, I do need to grow, but we know that it's impossible to be perfect. We can't be exactly like Christ until we see Him someday. It's hard right? And no one else around me seems to be growing very fast. So as long as I don't do anything terrible, I'm just going to kind of sit. Or maybe you have no desire to grow at all. You say, I'm going to decide for myself what my life looks like. I'm only going to do what is useful for me. And we need to be careful. The danger of that is eternal separation from God right? J.C. Ryle says the, the lack of sanctification means there's a lack of regeneration. And so we need to be careful. We need to be warned about our attitude towards sanctification. In his book, Pursuit of Holiness, which I have here, this is my 1988 copy. This is the first book I really bought and read as a 12-year-old just to try to grow as a young believer 
this was actually published the year I was born. Um, but Jerry Bridges, The Pursuit of Holiness, is a great resource for you to jump into this subject, right? But he says, Many Christians have a basic desire to live a holy life, but have come to believe they simply cannot do it. They have struggled for years with particular sins or deficiencies of character. While not living in gross sin, they have more or less given up ever attaining a life of holiness and have settled down to a life of moral mediocrity with which neither they nor God are pleased. Is that you today? Would you say that, man, I'm not pleased really with where I'm at. I'm not, I know God's not pleased. Would you consider yourself in that spot of moral mediocrity? You might say, well, where do we begin? How do we start? How can I get a jump start? Right here, right? Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. So let's look into that. Paul, I've kind of broken this down into three main points. Verse 12 and 13 kind of have a, a thought. Verse 14 has a thought. And then 15 and 16 are kind of a wrap-up, an application or, or a check on whether we're being consistent or not. So Paul, very at the beginning, he starts off and he says, not that I have already obtained this. He's using his life as an example, a model for all believers. He says, everything that I have described in terms of becoming perfect, attaining Christ, knowing him fully, I'm not there, right? And so he humbly acknowledges his need for spiritual growth. That's your takeaway this morning, right? Number one, humbly acknowledge your need for spiritual growth. He says, not that I have already obtained or become perfect. And, and so he sees his own need for spiritual growth, continued maturity in his life. And what he's saying is, this is for all believers. He's saying, if anybody could claim perfection, it would be me, right? I was blameless according to the law. And what he's saying is, even, even I, who you might think is perfect, am not. I am on this road with you. In fact, he uses the term brothers, right, in verse 13. He, he says, we're here together. We're, I'm alongside of you in this. And so this is something that every believer needs to see, a need for spiritual growth in their lives. First of all, because they're all sinners, right? Every believer is a sinner. You and I are sinners. We're going to be sinners until the day that God calls us home. That is a reality that we see throughout Scripture, right? Paul alludes to this and talks about it. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that is a reality that Paul is aware of. And he's clear about his own life, his own weakness, his own sin. And he says, therefore, he says, this is for every believer. And yet, at the same time, we are held accountable. We are held accountable by God's word, which instructs us in God's purpose, which is to make us perfect, complete, right? We see that it is God's will that you be sanctified. We are to present everyone complete in Christ. We are to be made complete in order to present them holy and blameless. We must be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. In Hebrews, let us continue progressing toward maturity. 2 Timothy, all Scripture is given that man of God may be made complete. Okay, so we're all sinners, but we are to be held accountable and made complete. And God allows us to do this through the work of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. He says in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay? So Paul understands that we are all sinners, we are held accountable, and he has given us the Holy Spirit. Every resource we need to be on this journey of completion, of growth. And so he's saying, look at my life and recognize that this is for you as well. Join me. In fact, in verse 17, next week we're going to be looking at this. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. So Paul is humbly using his own life as an example and saying, we all have to continue to press on. And he uses that word, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. And that word press on in verse 12 there is 
really to follow after, to, to push down, to pursue. It's to, to get in the game, right? Um, Paul, throughout his just letters, he uh, just references this illustration of uh, an athlete at a game, right? The, the games of ancient Greece were big, big thing, right? Um, I grew up with field day. I don't know if any of you may be tracking field. Um, where I grew up in a small school, and we were all required to participate in field day. It was just understood that you were going to be an athlete, or you were going to try as hard as you could to be involved in field day. And so uh, we were involved in all kinds of running activities, you know, and all kinds of competition, right? And we see throughout his writings in 1 Corinthians, he says, this life that we are living is kind of like an athlete running a race, right? And, and straining, striving towards the finish line. We need to see this as a, a struggle, as something that we are always going to be working at to accomplish. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. That was their prize, right? But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In Ephesians 6, he talks about wrestling, right? Against flesh and blood. It is not against flesh and blood, but against the spirit of this world. And also he says at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, right? So we are in this constant struggle, Paul is saying, wrestling against the spiritual forces of this world. And we need to recognize that those forces are always at work in our lives. This world is constantly bombarding you, constantly trying to move you. It's like being in a giant river, right? If you've ever been in a stream with a current, whether you're whitewater rafting or canoeing, kayaking, you get moved along with the current. You've got to do something, right? And Paul is saying, we need you to actually start paddling. Not only paddle a little bit just to maintain your position, but we need you to get up river. We need you to paddle furiously. And so he's saying, I press on against this pressure of the world that's on me. And this is God's purpose for every believer. We see in Romans 8, Paul understood. He says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so today, if you are in Christ, you're either a growing believer with a God-given desire toward Christ-like character, or you're dangerously disobedient. And so today's lesson is really going to be asking you to really think about where you are in your spiritual growth. Second thing Paul mentions here in this verse is his motive is because Christ pursued him, right? The very reason he's pursuing Christ. He says, I press on, I'm working hard, I'm struggling to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And we need to just make sure we understand, I press on to make it my own, referring to what he had not obtained yet, right? Which was perfection, that maturity, that coming to know Christ fully, but he pressed on to make it his own because Jesus Christ has made it him his own. And when you look at that, the words that he uses, it's this idea of Christ grasping or laying hold, seizing, right? And it's almost like a a, a runner in a race chasing after the one who is ahead of him and grabbing that person. He says, Christ has done that. We just sang about, right? He will hold me fast. And it's like this runner is coming up behind you and taking a hold of you and will not let go. You are in his grasp. And Paul is saying, that's the very reason that I run after him because I want to lay hold and have him in my grasp. He was constantly in awe and wonder of the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That he has laid hold of you. That his death, burial, and resurrection was for you. He has bought you. And that motivated Paul to take hold of Christ and pursue complete unity with him. 
That is the power and the purpose of the gospel. So think about that. You have been taken hold of by Christ. There can be no indifference or disinterest in the redemptive work of Christ in your life. It's just not possible. As a believer, there should be some consistency in this, right? We have responded in repentance. We've placed our faith in Him and His call to salvation by grace through Christ. And Christ has taken hold of us never to let us go so that we would live through the power of the Spirit in us to take hold of Him. That's your purpose, Christian. So be in awe and wonder of the gospel and nothing else. Don't let the things distract you from the gospel and its power. So, do you acknowledge your need for growth? That's number one, right? Acknowledge your need. And does the gospel motivate you to pursue Christ? I hope so. As we look in verse 13, continuing on here, Paul says, now we need to look at how you do this. What is the manner in which you are going to do this? And I would say this is probably where most of us fail. I know this is where God really uh, in, just convicted me as I was studying. I think God has me preach occasionally so that I can learn something from my studies. Um, this is really an area that I think that we often kind of set aside. What, what is my eagerness to pursue the reward of knowing Christ? And Paul is saying, this is what you must do as a Christian, eagerly pursue the reward of knowing Christ. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. That's the third time he has said that, just to be clear. He's like, I have not arrived. I have not attained. I have not made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying this has to do with the manner or the energy in which we run and pursue Christ-likeness, right? This godliness that we are after, we must do so eagerly. It's, it's what is your level of enthusiasm in this? And I think that's, I know that we all have different personalities. We, we, we might not be the ones to jump up and down about life, but this should be something that within us we are eager to pursue as believers. There should be this ongoing desire to strain even towards this. Think about kind of the illustration of the river, right? If, if you're a swimmer, I grew up on the Amazon River, and so uh, we often swam in the Amazon River, and it's a fast-moving river. It's a huge river. And there's an area next to the school I was at that had a rapids area, right along the bank of the Amazon rocks jutted out, and it's fast-moving current, okay? And so as a swimmer, you understand the idea of treading water, right? Paul is saying, be aggressive in your pursuit, don't just tread water. You're going to get swept down current. At the rapids, if you were treading water, you're going to be hundreds of yards downriver before you knew it. He's saying not only tread water, there's this, almost this idea of a progressing um, level of enthusiasm, right? Don't just tread water. He's saying continue to move, right? And press on, be aggressive, and Think about where you are going to be if you don't actually strain yourself towards moving upstream. And I love the fact that he says, man, I'm boiling it down to one thing I do. Don't you uh, wish that, that you'd be able to hear that more often? What do I need to do? What is God's will for my life? I just need that one thing, right? Um, I, 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 uh, Boyce, Mont James Montgomery Boyce talks about how this is an opportunity for you to recognize the will of God in your life. So often we hear that. What is the will of God for my life? And he says, here Paul is saying, this is one thing he does. One thing I do, he says, is to forget what is behind, strain forward to what lies ahead, and press on toward the prize. Wouldn't that be amazing if we could boil our life down to one thing that we do? Be focused, concentrated, purposeful. And that is what Paul is desiring the church at Philippi to do. So ask yourself, what is, what is the one thing 
that I need to be doing in pursuing Christ? And what are those things that are keeping me from the one thing? Because often it becomes that one thing and then it's many things and then it's no longer one thing, right? What must change in your life to continue to press on? This is that idea we see in Ephesians 4 of putting off your old self and putting on the new self. You are given a new life. You are in a new kingdom. So what are things that need to change in your life? What are things you need to let go of? Those idols of time and resources and distractions. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says to rearrange your priorities. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So some of those things that you may have thought about, what are those things that I need to put off? These are the very things in the next couple words here that Paul is saying, forget about them, right? The one thing I do is forget what lies behind. So this idea of forgetting what lies behind is as you run, continue to forget those things that do not lead you to your prize, okay? Don't consider the things that will distract you from your course, things that hinder, that entangle you, right? Anything that keeps you from the prize is something you need to forget. It's, uh, it's being a cucumber Christian, if I can say that. Um, if you think about the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. They had left Egypt, right? They were in the wilderness. Things weren't going well for them. They were complaining, and they were really complaining about the food. And they thought back, and they said, remember when we were in Egypt? Completely forgetting why they were there in Egypt or what they were doing in Egypt. We had food. Remember the fish that we got for free? Remember the cucumbers and the onions and garlic? And what were they doing? They were, they were hanging on and forgetting about what they were headed towards, right? Thinking about the past, being cucumber Christians. Don't be a cucumber Christian. That's what Paul is saying, right? Forget those things from your old life. Make a break with your past. And this can be really almost anything. Failures, achievements even, victories, comparisons, wrongs, hurts. Bring the truth to bear from God's word. Bring the truth to bear on your future. And don't dwell on those, especially not on your successes, right? Those can be a stumbling block as well that keep you from looking towards the prize. And this is what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So forget those things that do not lead us in Christ-likeness and progressing towards knowing him more. And he says, then what I do is I strain forward to what lies ahead. And this is kind of the, the pinnacle of what he's saying in your efforts. Strain, right? As we were talking about, there's this kind of this this progression. He says, don't do nothing, Christian, okay? Don't do nothing, but don't just maintain either, right? Don't just show up. But don't just make a decent effort either. He says, strain yourself to the limit. That is the amount of effort you should be putting into looking to Jesus, right? Straining forward to what lies ahead because we will one day be with him perfect, complete. And we need to be running as that is our prize. That is the manner in which we ought to run. And this, this term is really he's using, again, the, the idea of an athlete stretching his muscle to the limit. Um, I uh, always try to bring something to... Uh, to uh, just kind of have as a object lesson. And I had, um, in field day, had the opportunity to win several ribbons, right? First, second, third place. You guys all recognize those colors, right? First, second, third. Um, 
There was one ribbon they also gave out, which was not first, second, or third place, and it was called the Participation Award. Okay? I did not ever want the Participation Award. It was almost like it was highlighting the fact that you did not win. And now, whether you really tried or not, it was kind of like this consolation prize, right? It was like, hey, we're going to get you up on stage just to recognize the fact that you lost. And yet, for, for many, this was a good prize. It acknowledged the fact that they tried, and that's good. But we shouldn't be running as if we want the participation prize, right? That is not the manner in which we should be running. Straining ourselves pursuing Christ ought to be with this idea of gaining the prize. The blue one, right? We don't want the green one. We want Christ. And so that should motivate us and, and really help us think about, man, am I, am I trying for blue? Or am I just kind of trying for the green ribbon in my Christian life? Am I just going to be kind of here, do what is necessary to get the points? And that is it. And Paul is saying, don't be that Christian. Focus. Let your eyes look directly forward. Proverbs 4 says, your gaze, let it be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. All your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left and turn your foot away from evil. Paul is saying, stay focused and lean into it. Strain as a runner who is, I don't know if you've just really just gone all out running, you almost have to lean forward into it, right? So that your feet don't go out from under you first. It's one of the hard things about sprints is you got to find that balance of leaning into it. A great example of this, and you can find it on YouTube, any video you may know of it, is an SEC track and field athlete named Infinite Tucker. Um, this is the article. A hurdler, hurdler, there we go, it's hard to say, left it all out on the track during a dramatic finish at the 2019 SEC Track and Field Championship over the weekend. Infinite Tucker, a junior at Texas A&M University, is the new SEC 400-meter hurdle champion after he went full Superman to the finish line in a close race on Saturday. After clearing all the hurdles, Tucker and his teammate Robert Grant were neck and neck as they approached the end of their championship race. And by the way, I found out that he won second the year before, and he wasn't about to do that again. It says, once the finish line was in close enough proximity, Tucker dived with his arms out and beat Grant by a nose, and the New York native fell to the ground, but earned a gold medal for his last second leap. He went horizontal in the air. I mean, that is how much he wanted to get across that finish line first. And I thought, man, are we doing that as believers? Are, are, we, are we not worried about what it looks like? Because it's, it's great to watch. You need to go see it. And then he lands on the pavement. So that's got to hurt. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about what it looks like, how graceful he landed. He just wanted that first place prize. And so it's a reminder for us. Be thinking about what our goal is. What is that prize? Why are we pressing on? And then go full out. The prize that he talks about. This is why he is pressing on, he says in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is he saying there? What is that goal, right? This is, this is the end in mind. This is what we are all looking forward to, right? And as I get older, I look more and more forward to it. I'm no longer straining muscles, right? Um, He's saying this, the, the prize is to gain Christ himself, right? To be in his presence face to face. And it's worth it all, he's saying. It's glorification one day. But we need to recognize the prize of daily living and knowing Christ as well. It's like this prize that we have, but not yet fully. And we need to be careful because it's, we don't want to think that the only thing that we have to look forward to is one day being with Christ. We have spiritual blessings and, and joy and good things that God has for us in this life. But the ultimate prize that we run for 
is being with him. The upward call of God, right? That's the finish line. When Christ returns and calls us to himself, we will see Christ, we will be like him fully. You may think that, well, after I've retired from my work, I'm, I'm older, um, going through my midlife crisis, or I've been in the church for 30 years, um, you may say, I've served my time. Or maybe you said, man, I think my contribution to the kingdom is sufficient, right? And we lose focus of that finish line. The finish line is when you're dead, right? That's when you can stop. That's when you can give up. And so we need to be continuing to think, not as somebody who's, yes, getting along in life or maybe has served a lot as a young person and maybe is now getting busy with marriage and other things. We need to be thinking about how Paul is saying we are not to be just straining at a certain time in our lives. We are to be doing this in an ongoing manner, continually straining and pressing on every part of life. If you are a new believer or if you've been a member of the chapel for 30 years, you need to be straining, pressing on, understanding how can I know Christ more? How can I grow in my spiritual maturity? So are you straining in your pursuit of holiness? Is this your one thing? The third point here is in those last two verses, and it's something that I'm going to just kind of lump together because Pastor Josh is going to continue looking at this idea of being an example, right, or modeling what does it look like for us to be mature believers and be consistent in our walk. But verse 15 and 16 now, he says, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So, your third take-home here is to faithfully exhibit the consistent mindset of maturity. When we use this word maturity, we need to recognize that this is not perfection here. He's not saying, man, there are some of us who are perfect. And so have this mindset, those of you who are perfect, right? Um, Paul is kind of warning of this idea of a, of a hierarchy of Christian maturity. He's saying there, there isn't any kind of a hierarchy where some are are. Um, kind of at a different level and therefore are required to grow at a different rate or grow more in some way. I know some of us are more mature than others. Some of you understand that either you're a new believer and you're growing, you are knowing Christ more, and yet when Paul uses this word mature, he's saying those who are positionally in Christ, right? Those of us who have the Holy Spirit in us think this way. And what he's saying is model consistency, okay? Everything so far that we've talked about in pressing on, we need to show that we are living in a consistent manner. Be an example. Have this attitude, this mindset. This is what you should be doing with your growth and with, what your, with your maturity and what you have already attained. So he's saying, because of your position in Christ and the ongoing sanctification that we are experiencing, he's saying, be consistent. Stay true to the Christ character that you are pursuing. Live by the same standard. Walk by the same rule. And along the same lines of an athlete, he's saying, stay in the lane, right? Make sure that you are on course and not crossing lines to be disqualified. Be consistent. And then he says that when you have this mindset, it promotes unity, right? He says that if, if, if you have a, a different idea, or if you don't think this way, God's going to reveal that to you. There's going to be oneness in thought. There's going to be unity in how we go about our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. We have this mind of Christ and agreement in Christ together. 
that's the whole theme of our study of Philippians, right? Unity. And so Paul closes kind of with this third thought of, okay, I've kind of shown my example, do as I do, and now he wants you to recognize that you need to be consistent and be unified of the same mind. Rejoice in your unity, being side by side for the gospel. That's our theme throughout Philippians. And even here, Paul is saying, this should lead us to unity in Christ as a body. So as we close, I'm going to ask you, is there evidence in your life of progressive sanctification, of moving toward maturity? Are you striving after Christ? Once again, in the pursuit of holiness, Jerry Bridges talks about this warning that we need to have about understanding our life and the world around us. He says, the world around us constantly seeks to conform our minds to its sinful ways. It is earnest and pressing in its endeavors. It will entice and persuade us. And when we resist, it will ridicule and abuse us as old-fashioned and puritanical. Right? We have this ongoing pressure of the world, and we get caught up with, well, what does this look like? How am I looking? Am I, am I going to embarrass myself in front of my friends? Um, being very concerned with how this looks is not really what we need to be worried about, right? We need to be thinking about the prize. What we are doing gains us Christ himself. And it's a constant competing force. It's always pressing against us. And yet, are you okay to look old-fashioned? Because that may be just exactly what we need to look like, right? Separate from the world, apart. So let's think about some areas of your life. Are you like Christ in what you take in through entertainment, movies, music, TV shows? Now we're getting uncomfortable here, aren't we? We're making it personal. Do I have the mind of Christ in the job I choose, in the relationship I am in, in the goals I am setting for my family? And if you don't have this mindset, if you don't have this desire, what then? What if you assess your maturity and you realize, man, I'm not growing at all. I'm not progressing in my walk toward Christ-likeness. I'd have to consider my life stagnant. I'm in the same place, maybe sitting in the same pew, doing the same things that I was doing last year at this time or 10 years ago. What then? What if I don't even feel like it? And that might be a reality. You might be thinking this morning, I have a hard time just being motivated to do this. What should you do? Well, this is God's Word right now revealing to you the inconsistency, right, that we were talking about. And so, what should we do as believers when we don't feel like living godly lives? Live godly lives. I mean, this is one of those things, when you don't feel like doing something you know you should do, then do it anyways, right? God will then. And pray that the Holy Spirit will give you that desire because that is his job. Ask for it. Pray for it. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 15. Write that down. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 15. It, it gives us a challenge to confirm our purpose as believers. And that's a great place to start to say, who am I as a believer? And what should be my motivation to pursue Christ? So read 2 Peter 1, 3 through 15. And then we all love lists. So in closing, I'm going to give you four ways that God develops a believer into the image of Christ. This is how you eagerly pursue Christ. And they're not complicated at all. Number one, nourishment from God's word. You're going to, you're going to think this is a really simple list. But yes, nourishment from God's word. It drives you to eagerly pursue Christ. Number two, prayer to be made complete. Ask for it, right? Prayer 
God will answer your prayer. Third, perseverance through trials. God uses trials to grow us. And fourth, imitate godly examples. And we're going to get into that next week when Paul says, imitate me. But find uh, an older man, an older woman, a friend that you can say, man, I see you as a godly person. I want to, I want to imitate your life, okay? I trust that as we think about where we are, we will say to ourselves, man, I probably haven't been doing as good as I need to be doing. I haven't put much effort into my Christian life. I need to press on toward completion in Christ, having that in mind that one day we will be glorified and we can praise God for that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thankful for your word, for the, the way that it shows us when we are living in an inconsistent manner. And I pray, God, that you would help us in each one of these areas. I pray, God, that you would help us to humbly acknowledge the fact that we are needy, we are sinners, and we need to continue to strive towards spiritual growth. I pray, God, that you would give us perseverance in that. I pray that you would renew our joy in you. See the worth of knowing Jesus Christ and eagerly pursue that reward. I pray, God, that you'd give us a clear picture of what maturity looks like, that one day we will be perfectly like Christ, know Him completely. And that is exactly what Paul said was worth it all. Everything else was rubbish. Help us to recognize just the value, the immense worth of Christ. And may it, may it drive us, God, to be believers who are useful, who are growing, who are joy-filled, who are sure of their salvation, and who are a light in this world. I pray for us as a church that we would be that, that we would be standing out as Christians, even if it makes us look old-fashioned. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.